You guys, how's it going? This is Liz Ryan, and this is episode three of the Truth About Work podcast. We tell the truth about work. We have to, right? Everybody goes to work. It's a big topic, has a lot of impact on your life. Not just our life individually, which work definitely does impact, but society in general, right? Our economy, how healthy we are. It's all, it's all very affected by work. And that's why I'm so passionate about this topic of work and the workplace and people in it. And I got a question to answer right now. Came in over email. You could have a question for me to answer. I hope you do. Please send it kind of short. Tweet length is great. That's about 280 characters. Send it to support at humanworkplace.com. That's our company and our movement, Human Workplace Movement to Reinvent Work for People. And here's the question. Hey Liz, I haven't heard back from a recruiter after sharing my resume and giving permission to send to their client. How long do I wait before applying directly to the client? Wow, that's a great question. So the scenario here we presume is that this person was contacted by a third party recruiter, sometimes called a search consultant or headhunter in the vernacular, right? And they said, hey, can I send your resume to my client XYZ over here? Person says, sure, go for it. Now they haven't heard anything back. How long do you have to wait? It's an ethical question, isn't it? It's kind of a procedural slash ethical question. The real answer, truthful answer to the question is before you get to that place in the transaction, if you will, with the headhunter, before you get to the point of asking, how long do I have to wait to hear from this guy before I contact the client directly, is that before you get there, when you first begin the relationship, before you send your resume to anybody, you have to set some ground rules with the recruiter. You have to set ground rules because you know, there are not established ground rules. You have to set your own, and here are a few of them. One is, please get my written permission before you send my resume to any client. And you might think, well, that's time consuming. Why do I have to individually improve, approve the recruiter's you know, transmission of my resume to any individual client? Oh no, my darling, you do, you do, you do, you do. Because if you should end up with a less than completely scrupulous recruiter or even a less than scrupulous recruiting firm with, with an ultra scrupulous recruiter maybe in it, they can take your resume and believe that they have your tacit permission, your blanket permission to send it to everybody, all of their clients and people, companies that are not clients as a hook, which is a very common thing to snag the fish and say, look at this amazing resume I have. I have so many more awesome candidates like this. We should totally work together and I should become one of your vendors of choice, one of your established recruiters that you work with. Meanwhile, you're you're not in it. Your resume is just out to the four winds. That's not cool. You don't want that, especially because um, the the agreement is that if a, if a client, an employer accepts your resume from a recruiter, you just got more expensive because they have to incorporate the recruiter's fee. So they got to pay you whatever they pay you in your salary, your bonus, whatever you get. But they also have to pay a fee, usually about 25% on top. So that could be worth it in some cases if you don't have an in in that company. But what if you do? You, you, you either have to exclude a whole bunch of employers you do not want a recruiter to send your resume to or simply let them know, I need to give you written permission every time you send my resume to anybody. 
So that's one ground rule. And then another one has to do with just what you, what you just mentioned. How long do I wait? So you say, look it, here's how I work with recruiters. I'm very happy to be working with you. I hope something could work out. I get placed at one of your clients. It'd be amazing. And I'll get a new job and you'll get a commission and we'll all be super happy and we'll, you know, go celebrate at Chuck E. Cheese, right? Well, yeah, but what if that doesn't happen? What if they take your resume and ghost you, which is sadly common, super common. You should see my inbox. This is like the number two thing people write to me about. Recruiter ghosted me. Recruiter blew me off. Employer ghosted me. We all know this phenomenon. It's bad. Even in these tight talent war days, they talk about it, but you know, the behaviors are not the best still and the recruiting process is badly broken. And so you can get kind of ground under the wheels of the machinery and you can get ghosted. So you got to let the recruiter know upfront, I'm going to send you my resume and I understand you're going to send it to XYZ Plastics. I already sent you an email giving my written permission for you to do that. And I can't wait to hear what they say. And I do need to hear from you, yay or nay. I need to hear from you within a week because I think a week is a very reasonable amount of time to get back to someone who's taken the time to send you their resume and put their career to a certain extent in your hands and allow you to represent them, just like a talent agent or, or a literary agent. And if you produce some result, positive, negative, you know, good feedback for me, whatever it is, in a week, we could have a long and perhaps beautiful, fruitful relationship. But if not, then we're done. So I'm not going to send you a reminder. I'm telling you right now, it's a week. The week is the window. It's reasonable. It's, you know, business time. Now the recruiter might say, I haven't heard anything from the client. Hey, too bad, bucko. Then write back and say, I haven't heard from the client. And here's what I'm doing to try to get a word back. But I got to tell you something. The whole reason to use a recruiter is their clout that you don't have. Their relationships with the, with the clients that you don't personally have. So if they don't have a relationship that allows them to get feedback on a resume within a week, that's not the right recruiter for you to be working with. I want you to be choosy, you guys. I want you to be choosy because only the people who get you deserve you. All right, we're going to play a message now from a reader, listener, and we'll see what they have to say. Hey, Liz. I love uh, the LinkedIn advice and now your podcast. Uh, Calling, I'm an executive, and I spent two years at a job that wasn't the right fit. Um, Recently took a new opportunity that I thought would fulfill a lot of work passions and fulfill me from that standpoint. Actually took a small pay cut and a longer commute because I thought the job would really be worth it. Unfortunately, about a month in, I'm finding uh, that it may not be right either. So my question to you is, how do I turn around and possibly look for another position? Uh, You know, you talk about uh, job hopping, and that might be not frowned upon anymore, or at least, you know, it shouldn't be. Um, How do I sell only a month turnaround? Um, So I'm having a lot of difficult ideas. And do I even disclose it um, in a resume? I mean, I want to be honest, but... It's only a month. Do I have to talk about it? Thank you. Okay. So yeah. How short does a job have to be before it doesn't even deserve a spot on your resume? Well, definitely one month does not qualify. It shall never be spoken of again. (laughs) The job is just a memory. It was just a, it was a, you know, what do they call that when you serve into the net in tennis? You guys know? Maybe. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's like it didn't happen. You never got your serve over the net. I took tennis lessons when I was like six and seven. I forgot all the terminology. And um, 
you know, it's a no, it's a no go. It didn't happen. It's thwarted. Okay. A mission aborted. You did not go and work there. It just didn't happen. You, if you could afford to get out, I would say get out of the place. What's the point? Because it certainly won't help you to say, I've been working at this place for three weeks and I'm job hunting. That, that would never help you on the job hunt. So if you can afford it, I would say bail. And if it doesn't make sense financially, you're going to be back in another stealth job search situation. And um, that's fine. You can, you, you know, are going to have to use some fancy footwork with interviewing early in the morning, late at night, phone screens, all that. But the big question, of course, you're going to have to answer is, well, you know, are you working now? You, you know, the only thing you can really say is I'm helping some friends, you know, do I'm helping some people with some consulting stuff during the day. It would be very, very unusual if they would want to check references on, you know, a short term consulting project when you have plenty of regular jobs, I'm sure that you've held and they can check those references or you may, I mean, verify employment is what I mean, not check references. Cause you're going to give them the references that you actually want them to talk to. But yeah, forget this job. It, it's get the learning that now you know more about what you don't want and it doesn't show up on your resume. It doesn't show up on your LinkedIn. If it's literally on your LinkedIn right now, I would take it off and just make it just, just do something. <laughs> I'm trying to think what you do on LinkedIn. I don't know. It depends whether your current employer is likely to be looking at your LinkedIn, a whole nother question, but you see the issue, we, you know, it, it, there's no way to anticipate every possible problem or obstacle, specifically the cultural and political ones, obviously, uh, when you take a new job. So don't beat yourself up. You took this job and it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. It's a common problem these days. Um, but don't feel that now you're committed to it for a length of time. That's crazy. You're not guaranteed employment for any length of time, are you? Right? We have in the United States, this doctrine called employment at will. You could be shown the door at any point for no reason. There doesn't need to be a reason. And I'm real super excited to see bills coming through, like even for fast food workers, that they'll be protected to a degree if, if these bills pass from the, you know, pure sword of employment at will, you're just gone. You're just history in that um, there's legislation now proposed that would require an employer to have a reason to fire a fast food worker. Everybody needs that, obviously. Everybody does. It's absurd. It's kind of ridiculous. And, and, and really, when you back out of it, because we grew up with this system, but when you stop and think, I'm taking a job, I'm walking in there to do my best work, to commit my, you know, my resume, my brand, my time, my energy, my effort, my passion to a job they have not committed to me how long the job will last, what will happen to my pay over time, even if I crush my goals, right? What it, how they will treat me. There's no contractual agreements about any of that. If it's a salaried job, I have no idea what their expectation will be in terms of hours, in terms of work reachability on the weekends and at night, unbelievable unknowns. But yet the employer, any employer, reserves the right to just turn around and say, yeah, we made a mistake. We don't need you. We don't want you. The owner's wife doesn't like you, you know? And, and so this is what we have to climb out of. This is medieval. It made sense during the post-war bubble. Like when my dad took a job and just rose through the ranks, 35 years of, it was a very common scenario, but nowadays things have changed and we have to kind of relevel the playing field in our own decisions and our own actions. And yours is a perfect example. If it's not the right place, if it's not growing your flame, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And thank you. But I have to remember that only the people who get me deserve me.
folks who listened to episodes one and two of the Truth About Work podcast, and uh, we're super grateful for your letters. Our um, email is support at humanworkplace.com. And if you want to call and leave me a message on the voicemail, the number is 720-316-9603. And as you can tell, I love to answer your questions. But one thing that a lot of folks said in their letters was that they really liked getting answers, the thought process behind uh, answers and then actual words for answers to common interview questions. So I'm going to answer another interview question right now, give you a little bit of context behind it, talk about, you know, why I hate the question. <laughs> happens to be a question I'm not, I don't approve of, but, um, but I'm going to give you some ideas for answering it if you run into this question on a job interview. And the question is, what is your greatest weakness? Funny thing about this question is, I loathe the question, L-O-A-T-H-E, hate it. Um, I think it's it's just the epitome of the fear-based model that we have for interviewing. I, the interviewer, sit on a throne, you, the commoner, crawl uh, you know, before the throne and beg to be, you know, considered. And I, I, I'm sorry if that sounds dramatic, but I am dramatic. And also that's how a lot of people on both sides of the interviewing desk view it. Because I hear so much from HR folks, I love you, but they say, no, 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 I have to ask people about their greatest weakness. I have to ask them, uh, not only because I would love to know what it is so I can help develop them as though when you apply for a job, you somehow automatically also enroll in this particular manager's development academy, uh, maybe against your will, but not only for that reason, but also so that I can see whether they're self-aware. And so this is the ultimate like ironic, just, you know, <laughs> nausea inducing I, the Kyrene manager, am not self-aware enough to understand the nature of self-awareness, which is being aware of your own damn self, not the self-awareness quotient like you're going to evaluate it of a candidate sitting in front of you. It's unbelievably arch, uh, 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 arrogant, fearful, uh, rude. It is not polite to ask another human what they're working on in their life as though you come from the presumption that everybody is flawed and has things to work on in their life. I know that's a common thought. That's a common belief, but it is actually closer to a religious belief coming from, you know, here in the United States, our Puritan forefathers, you know, uh, spare the rod and spoil the child and beat thyself against the rock. I used to sing a lot of like early music stuff. And I was always shocked in these old hymns, like I will bow and bend and be broken. And yes, do whatever you want with me. I'm the instrument of thy will. Hey, that's a choice, man. That's your choice. I'm not hating on any religion. I'm just saying it's a religion. And the idea that we all have faults and we are all imperfect and we have to spend our lives trying to repair our faults is a religious idea. It has nothing to do with just life and society, much less the working world on its own. So we have to see that clearly, that, that we're stepping into a different territory when we ask a perfect stranger who, who comes to us wanting to help us the same way the plumber comes over when the kid stuffs their sock down the tub drain, right? But we, we, we feel the, the power and the privilege to ask the candidate, what is your greatest weakness? 
it's funny because the plumber would not stay on your front porch in your vestibule if you said so anyway before you start working on the on the tub drain what's your greatest weakness right they would be like is what is wrong with you and we should all have that view because it's not appropriate it's not polite it's not cool and it has nothing to do with business to ask somebody what their greatest weakness is much less to say that you feel that the reason for the question is to evaluate someone's self-awareness which is just laughably sad because it shows that you yourself making the statement having that justification for this loathsome question fail utterly to understand what self-awareness is okay but anyway you still got to answer the question so let's talk about a couple of ways to answer the disgusting question <laughs> what's your greatest weakness so sally what would you say is your greatest weakness oh you know liz i used to worry so much about my weaknesses but i found over the years my goal and my mission is to get better at the things that i'm already good at in my case graphic design and illustration and steer clear of things i'll never be good at like excel spreadsheets that's one way to answer the question what's your greatest weakness a lot of people have learned to say oh i'm hard on myself i never know when to stop working <laughs> you know believe it or not the person who is out of it enough god bless them to ask you the question and feel that it's a test of self-awareness will also be disappointed with that answer because they will think that it is insufficiently self-aware i don't know what to tell you right i understand why people get up and walk out of job interviews because there is very good reason to do that but we're also learning this kind of like breathing calm it doesn't matter you have a mission you're on your path you have a flame and not everyone will get you and thus deserve you but your job is to find those who do that's your job i'm liz ryan this is the truth about work podcast so good to talk to you guys see you again next time